Before we begin our time of worship, I wanted to give a word about ordination. Um, we don't do this often. It's the only time so far in the short history of our church that we have had an ordination service, and in, in a way that's kind of a shame. Um, uh, we, we need folks who are willing to come forward and say, uh, I want to um, publicly declare that, that I would like to go into the vocation of ministry, and so uh, we are very glad to be able to be a part of this today. Uh, you have a bulletin insert written by Lloyd Allen, who is professor of church history at McAfee School of Theology. Um, what is in your bulletin is only a portion of what he wrote. As we consider a word on ordination this morning, before we start, I want to read to you a couple of other excerpts from this same piece. He writes, from the New Testament to the end of the Middle Ages, the meaning of ordination moved toward an ever more exclusive and hierarchical rite designed to establish the primacy of the clergy over the laity. By the 16th century, the Roman Catholic tradition viewed ordination as an indelible mark granted by God and conferred by ordained clergy upon those whom the clergy approved for entry into elite ministerial society. In this system, ordination served as a certification for the clergy, the sole representatives of the body of Christ, able to mediate divine grace to the laity. The Protestant Reformation refuted this claim, emphasizing the doctrine of the priesthood of believers over against the hierarchical medieval view of ordination. Martin Luther called all Christians priests, some of whom were ordained to publicly minister and teach. Comparing ordained ministers to Christian cobblers, blacksmiths, and farmers, Luther wrote in 1520 that priests, bishops, or popes are neither different from other Christians nor superior to them, except that they are charged with the administration of the word of God and the sacraments. Most Baptists believe ordination recognizes a particular calling to ministerial service without indicating a higher spiritual status than that of other Christians. He concludes, Ordination is an act of worship by which the congregation, representative of the people of God, acclaims the one being ordained as chosen and empowered by the Holy Spirit to exercise gifts for ministry within the church. Ordination is not a holier ministry than those given to other baptized believers. The laying on of hands with prayer invokes God's blessing upon the one ordained and signifies that he or she is set apart as a servant to the servants of God. Ordination is a gift to the church as well as recognition by the church of the minister's inward call. In the ordination service, the church receives the ministry of Christ in its midst through the grace of the Holy Spirit in the calling of the one being ordained. Ordination for Baptists is a service of thanksgiving for God's love revealed in the minister's calling, a service of petition for God's continued blessing upon the one called, and a service of submission to God's authority revealed in the gifted one set aside for ministry. And so as we gather this morning, first and foremost, we are gathering to worship. At some point during our time of worship, we will be asking anyone who desires, whether you're ordained or not, to come forward, lay hands on Corey, to invoke 
God's blessing upon him. It might be that you want to say a word of encouragement to him or have a prayer. You're free to do that if you would like at that point in the service, but do not feel compelled to whatever the Lord leads you to do. And we will conclude our service receiving the ministry of Christ as we participate in the Lord's Supper. And so as we begin this time of a service that's wrapped around the calling of God on the life of an individual, I would ask all of us to be pondering the call of God on our lives, for he has called us all to various things, to various purposes, to various ministries in our life. Our first scripture reading this morning is from Micah, Micah 6, 6 through 8. With what, shall, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? to act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Our second scripture reading today is found in Ephesians chapter 4. I'll be reading verses 1 through 13, Ephesians chapter 4. Paul writes, I therefore the prisoner in the Lord beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. When it says he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is the same one who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until all of us come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. Nathan, come share with us. Well, good morning. Uh, as Chuck said, my name is Nathan McQuarrie. Uh, it's an honor to be with you guys this morning. Uh, Corey and I uh, were roommates in college. Uh, I stood in his wedding. He stood in my wedding. Um, and so it's an honor to be here as we ordain Corey to the ministry. Um, briefly about myself, uh, my wife, Becca, and I live outside of Slidell, Louisiana, or in Slidell, Louisiana, outside of New Orleans. Um, and I studied collegiate ministry at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, I currently serve as the media director at First Baptist New Orleans, 
and I am much more comfortable hiding in the back of the room behind a computer uh, than I am up here in front of all of you guys. So I would appreciate uh, your patience with me and your grace this morning um, as we read uh, this morning in the lectionary. Uh, we've got a reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 10. And Corey said I could talk from any passage I wanted to, um, and that was a lot of pressure, because then you have to pick the right one. Um, but I, when I read this passage in 1 Thessalonians, I thought that there's a lot here for us to, to learn uh, about not only the Christian life, but the life of the minister. Um, and so 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 uh, starts like this. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of, of the Thessalonians in the God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We always give thanks to God for all of you and mention you in our prayers constantly. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, beloved by God, that he has chosen you, because our message of the gospel came to you not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of persons we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for in spite of persecution, you received the word with joy inspired by the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place your faith in God has become known, so that we have no need to speak, of, to speak about it. For the people of those regions report to, uh, about us what kind of welcome we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. And wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath that is coming. Now, as I read that passage, two words came to mind, reputation and calling. Paul and Silas or Silvanus and Timothy are writing this letter to the believers in Thessalonica to encourage them in their faith by doing two things. Uh, first, they praise them for their reputation that they've developed among the believers in their area, and they confirm their calling in Christ. Uh, the idea of reputation is an interesting one, and I immediately thought of Corey. Uh, Corey and I knew of each other in our freshman year, but in our sophomore year, we became roommates. Um, and Corey is, to this day, the only roommate that I've had before or since that was not an engineering major. Uh, Corey had just transferred his major from computer science to communication, and I studied educational psychology. And all of my other roommates were either mechanical engineers or computer engineers or industrial engineers. And as you can imagine, they were not fun to be around. <laughs> they were always <coughs> studying for a test or working out math equations. They would have groups to, to get together to work out math problems. And that was not something that either of us were interested in. Um, as you can imagine, the course load for communications and educational psychology is a lot different than 
what you would expect for an engineering student. And so instead of study groups, uh, we, Corey would plan game nights. He'd have a group of people over to play D&D. And you could find us, uh, more likely find us, wrapped in blankets on the couch, binge-watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer than you could at the library. And that was our, that was our reputation. Among our roommates and among the people that knew us, uh, we didn't do much homework. Um, we did a lot of fun stuff. Like, we were kind of scorned by our roommates because they were always studying and we were always watching TV or something. Uh, but uh, Paul brings up the reputation of the believers in Thessalonica, and it's a good reputation, right? It's, it's something that I think we can all take away from this passage, uh, the idea of our reputation in Christ. <coughs> Paul starts off his letter uh, like he does in a lot of other letters to other churches. He says, I've been praying for you constantly. I'm always thanking God for you. And then he says, and I always remember three things about you, the believers in, in Thessalonica, your work of faith, your labor of love, and the steadfastness of your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I don't get to speak much. I, I do. Uh, I've done a lot of weddings. And so the, the joke has been that my go-to passage is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, because that is the text that I usually, when I'm speaking, I'm speaking from. And it, it, it would be a missed opportunity, I think, to not point out that in the end of that letter, Paul points out three enduring virtues, faith, hope, and love. And those are the three virtues that we see um, the, Thessalon the Thessalonians, uh, they have. They have a steadfastness of hope. Their, their faith produces works, and they are known to love uh, in, in labor in that love. Uh, the German New Testament scholar Gunther Bornkem says that the triad of faith, hope, and love is the quintessence of the God-given life in Christ. So those three virtues are not something that uh, just the Thessalonians should be known for. That's something that we as all believers should be known for. Um, and so the question I think to us this morning is, what are we known for? What, what am I known for? What is the church at Olive Branch known for? What is your reputation? Are you known for your faith and your hope and your love? And Corey, as a minister, what will you be known for? Will you be known for your faith and your hope and your love? As somebody who, who, who loves mercy and does justice and walks humbly. Um, and so the question that I think comes from that is, how can we make sure that we have a good reputation? And I think the key to that um, is in this passage. Paul says that you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what it is, but when I hear the word imitator or imitation, I think in our culture we have a negative connotation with that. Has anybody ever heard of the soft drink Dr. Thunder? Okay, that's, that's up here. Okay, cool. Uh, Dr. Thunder is an obvious and poor imitation of my favorite soft drink, Dr. Pepper, right? Um, it's, it's not the same. And if you serve me Dr. Thunder instead of Dr. Pepper, I'd like to think that I'm one of the people that could pick out 
the Dr. Thunder in one of those blind taste tests. Like, I know that that's an imitation. But Paul is calling the believers in Thessalonians and, and us as believers to be imitators of Christ. And that's not a cheap knockoff of Christ, but to be the kind of Christians that you can't pick out in a blind taste test. Like if it was Jesus and us, we're to be pretty good imitations. Um, if we're good imitations of Christ, we will be known for the things that Christ was known for. We will walk in love, like the passage uh, in Ephesians 5 says. It says, be imitators of God as dearly beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. If we're imitators of Christ, we will be known for love and a self-sacrificing love. Uh, that idea of being imitators of Christ is not something that Paul just introduces and abandons. He comes to it often in his writings. Um, and in other passages, it's clearly a call to Christians to be imitators of Christ. And so uh, my encouragement to you this morning is, as, as believers, to imitate Christ. Uh, but there's one other thing that sticks out to me uh, that kind of threw me for a loop. Um, Paul and Timothy and Silas are not just calling people to be imitators of Christ, but they're comfortable saying, you imitate us. And the reason they are comfortable doing that is because they are good imitators of Christ. And so, Corey, as you start your ministry, I encourage you to be a good imitator of Christ because people will imitate you. And if you focus your ministry on creating more of you, more imitators of you, you will fall short unless you're an imitator of Christ. Um, N.T. Wright says in The Challenge of Jesus that our task as image-bearing, God-loving, Christ-shaped, spirit-filled Christians following Christ and shaping our world is to announce redemption to a world that has discovered its fallenness, to announce healing to a world that has discovered its brokenness, and to proclaim love and trust to a world that knows only exploitation, fear, and suspicion. Um, and so I'm not doing the charge. That's coming later. But I think that as an idea to focus your ministry around, uh, as you imitate Christ, to do that uh, is, is something that I would encourage you to do. Um, and so I believe we are going to call Corey up here, uh, and I can get out of in front of you guys now. Uh, <laughs> And we will, we will pray over Corey here in a second. When Corey and I were talking about who would uh, preach the ordination sermon, he said, I know somebody I want to do this, and I know why. And uh, it's so wonderful to have someone that knows you as well as Nathan does to be able to be a part of this, and we're so thankful that y'all were and are a part of this today. Um, when our church called Corey to be our associate pastor, implicit in that call was that at some point we would ordain him and when the time was right. And so the time is right. And so uh, yesterday an ordination council met at 5 o'clock and we discussed with him various matters related to ministry, related to Baptist ministry. Uh, Corey shared with us his conversion experience and his testimony. Uh, he shared with us his call to ministry that he shares with Alicia. Um, he talked about his ministry here at Olive Branch Fellowship Church. Uh, he was asked questions about 
uh, his work at Rhodes College as well and how that fits into the grand scheme of things. Um, he talked to us about missions and what missions means to him, knowing that missions is near and dear to us as Baptists. Um, he was asked a question about decision-making regarding public stances on political issues as a minister and uh, was a answered that question. He talked to us about the autonomy of the local church, another historic Baptist belief. Uh, he talked to us about and answered questions about the ordinance of baptism and the Lord's Supper. He talked to us about what, what Christian education means to him, knowing that as Baptists we believe so much in uh, Christian education. And at the end, he talked to us about what led his family to join a cooperative Baptist fellowship church and to join this church in particular. And uh, we got to talk about that long email that Alicia sent me that one day and that I answered all these, all these questions that she had and they came to be a part of us anyway. <laughs> and um, so based on um, our calling of Corey to be our associate pastor and based on the unanimous decision of the ordination council yesterday to proceed with ordination. We're going to do that now. And um, we, uh, it's traditional that we have what is called the charge to the candidate and charge to the church. And I was looking up various iterations of this and I came upon one that was called the promises of the candidate and the promise of the people. And so um, taking some things from that is what I wanted us to do this morning. And so, Corey, I'm going to give you something that I'm going to be reading for you to be able to respond to in the form of a charge. My brother in Christ, do you believe that you are called by God and the church to the life and work of ministry in the name of Jesus Christ? The Apostle Paul testified, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Will you, Corey, endeavor to be diligent in your practice of the Christian life? I will. Scripture teaches that the church was devoted to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Will you endeavor faithfully to fulfill your calling among the people committed to your care? In Scripture, ministers are challenged to tend the flock of God committed to their care, not by constraint, but willingly, not for selfish gain, but eagerly, not by domineering over those in their charge, but by example. Will you endeavor to care for the people of God, nourishing, teaching, and encouraging them, giving direction to the life of the congregation, counseling the troubled, declaring God's forgiveness of sin, and proclaiming the new life that we find in Jesus Christ. I will. The Spirit of God led Jesus to preach good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, set at liberty the oppressed and proclaim the time of God's good favor. Will you, Corey, endeavor to lead the people of God in their commitment to the global mission of the church, guiding their concern for justice freedom, and peace for all people, and taking a place of responsible leadership and service in the church overall and in the world. I will. The Apostle Paul proclaims the church to be one body with many members. Will you, Corey, endeavor to live and work in unity with all Christians, helping to lead the church and fulfilling its ministry of reconciliation? 
And finally, with Jesus as your example, will you, Corey, endeavor to conduct yourself so that your life is shaped by Jesus Christ, who took the form of a servant for our sake? And will you, with the help of the Holy Spirit, continually rekindle the gift of God that is in you to make known to all people the gospel of the grace of God? And now you have in your bulletin insert a response. And I would ask for you to respond appropriately. You have heard the promises of this candidate for ordination. Do you, who also are called by God to serve, affirm Corey's call and accept him to the life and work of ordained ministry? Corey, we accept you as one called to leadership in the church and celebrate that today you are ordained. We pledge our love and offer our prayers that together we may glorify God and make Christ known in the world.